Hey guys, if you're interested in checking out a video version of the show, please visit the Low Key Geek channel on YouTube. There you can not only catch the video version of the podcast, but you can also check out my other projects and short form video that I produce. You can find a link in the description. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, breaking news. I had to restructure my script for today as far as topics are concerned. But Hayden Christensen, it's been confirmed that Anakin Skywalker, his role as Anakin, will return at the in the Disney Plus series Ahsoka, the Ahsoka series. So let's talk about that and whatever else I decide to talk about because I had to change things up. But anyway, Talking Talk Show podcast coming at you now. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Talking Talk Show podcast, episode 8. And if you're wondering, why is it just episode 8? I thought last week was episode 8. Well, no, last week was a special DC fandom edition of the Talking Talk Show podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. A lot of things dropped during the DC fandom event. But we're back to talking about some of the hot topics from the past week. As a reminder, the Talking Talk Show podcast is your unofficial weekly pop culture podcast where I talk about the big topics as far as movies, streaming, video games, collectibles, all that stuff. And I put my own little spin on it. And we have fun every week with certain discussions on certain topics. So thank you for everyone who is returning Either it's through the YouTube channel or audio form on podcast platforms. Um, if you are new, welcome, and I hope you enjoy what you see. If you are new, don't forget, hit that like and subscribe. Um, and for audio listeners, if you want an audio version of this show, you could find the Talking Talk Show podcast in the Low Key Geek channel in any of your podcast platform of choice like iTunes and Spotify. So before, be, be sure, before, but be sure to check it out there. So all that out of the way, some good stuff to talk about. But like I mentioned at the top, breaking news, just as I was about to hit record here on uh, this show, saw Twitter really quick and big news was dropped. It was broken by The Hollywood Reporter. And that is Hayden Christensen, the darling of the Star Wars prequels, has been confirmed to be returning as Anakin Star Sky Anakin Skywalker. Hello. You think I've had enough coffee yet? No. Anakin Skywalker in the Disney Plus Ahsoka series. And uh, if you're wondering if this is just rumor or what have you, it looks like Rosaria Dawson also confirmed this on her Twitter account and she tweeted something out, get ready, something along those lines. But this is extremely exciting news. Now again, for some of us, this may not be as surprising because the rumor mill has been rampant with Hayden coming back at one point or another. I think the biggest rumor and speculation was that he was going to come back for the Obi-Wan series. Um, but there has been no confirmation about that. This is the first time we got confirmation that this character of Anakin Skywalker that Hayden made famous in the Star Wars prequels is coming back to a series uh, or some form of media. And he will be reprising his role in the Ahsoka Disney Plus series, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, but 
details on what's going to be happening in this Ahsoka series are still kept under wraps. So we have no idea what's going to happen in this series, what we're going to see as far as Ahsoka is concerned. So even though this is exciting news, I think the big question we have to now ask is, where does this series take place within the Star Wars timeline? Because it depends on what kind of version of Anakin we're going to get. The last time Ahsoka and Anakin met, Anakin was already full-blown Darth Vader. And they had their little squabble there and they had their fight. And that was the last time that they saw each other during the Clone Wars series. Um, and I believe there may have been, um, if, I, if memory serves me right, there may have been something in Rebels as well. But it looks like the last time that they really went toe-to-toe -to -toe or they had some sort of meet was during Clone Wars. Or at least in the cartoon version, in the cartoon form. And again, my memory is like all over the place because I feel like I've watched all those shows like so intertwined with each other. I forget what's Rebels and what's Clone Wars or what have you, I'm sure. One of you will correct me in the comments, and that's perfectly fine. Do remind us when the last time they met. But they met in animated form. and But the last time we saw Ahsoka was in live-action form during Season 2 of The Mandalorian. And we all know The Mandalorian, at least timeline-wise, this takes place after the events of Return of the Jedi. Uh, we already know that because, spoiler, we've seen Luke, Luke Skywalker at the, in the last episode of Season 2 in his full Return of the Jedi garb, and this was already after the events of his showdown with Darth Vader, and you know, we all know Darth Vader passes on. We see Hayden's version of Anakin as a Force ghost at the end of Return of the Jedi in live action form, which is a very controversial topic as well because, you know, we don't see David Prowse there anymore and you know what what you know they switched him out because they were doing the special editions and all that stuff like that so for some reason they thought it was a better idea to have a younger version of Anakin Darth Vader appear in uh, ghost form in force ghost form so timeline wise where is Ahsoka gonna fall in line it could go different ways right given that we've already seen the version of Anakin as a force ghost could this be just him appearing as a force ghost to Ahsoka with maintaining the timeline that we've last seen her in live action form from the Mandalorian could she just be interacting with Anakin as she's doing what she's doing and going through what she's going through that could be one possibility another possibility is that maybe we'll see him appear in flashbacks, right? Maybe Ahsoka will harken back on her time with Anakin or what have you, but then we would have to get a younger version of Ahsoka because Ahsoka was definitely in younger age when she interacted with Anakin before he became Darth Vader, right? Um, or will this series be kind of a prequel? Right, taking place before the events of the Mandalorian and all that stuff. But still, we would still be facing with age and the difference in age there, right? Because Anakin, as we know, at least the Hayden Christensen version, took place many, 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 many years ago, right? And then he's definitely got older and all that stuff like that. And then to the, the time he passed on, he was definitely a much older person. So obviously, I don't think they're going to put Anakin in all of this de-aging material 
um, I mean, not the aging, but age him up and make him look older, maybe with some prosthetics or what have you like that. Because it, it would be kind of a waste of talent, if you ask my opinion on it, um, to have him come back and just put all his makeup on him, right? But then what would Rosario Dawson do? Are we going to de-age her and make her look much younger to play a younger version of Ahsoka if this was to be a prequel, right? So it, it does kind of open the doors as far as speculations concerned and all that. I personally think it's going to be probably in form of a Force Ghost. We're going to see him in Force Ghost form. Maybe some flashbacks, but I do feel like maybe there's going to be interactions with Anakin as a Force Ghost. And I don't know if we'll be happy with that. I mean, we won't know until we actually see it play out in front of us, right? But I am happy that Hayden is getting another chance at playing the role of Anakin. I feel like going back and looking at the, the prequels and all that, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He was terrible. But I do think it was a product of bad directing. You know, um, George Lucas made Natalie Portman look horrible as an actress. I feel like Ewan McGregor didn't really get to fully flesh out the character that maybe he may have wanted to or the character that we could have seen him flesh out. And that's what's making the Obi-Wan series very exciting because now we're going to get to see him return as Obi-Wan and under the tutelage of another director, another writer, and we get to see how this version is going to play out in front of us, right? So it will be very interesting to see how Hayden is going to do acting-wise, being directed by someone different. Um, because Hayden, as a whole, is a very good actor. You know, if you look at um, that movie he did, Shattered Glass, and I know I feel like everyone refers to that movie, but it's true. You really get to see his full acting chops there. And then I, I think he's done, like, smaller things um, from time to time, but it's just nice to see him get this chance because I think the fans are now open and very welcoming to having him come back and reprise this role of Anakin. And, you know, Disney and, and, and Lucasfilm and all that, like, they haven't been shy in promoting Hayden and having Hayden show up in a lot of events. Recently, we had New York Comic Con, and he was here in New York City, and he was doing special events. He went to the Empire State Building and did, like, this nice presentation and welcoming New York Comic Con back and all that. And, you know, he's been seen at Star Wars Celebration. You know, when he comes up on stage, there's huge applause and all that. So I do feel like the fan base, at least my generation fan base, is open and ready to welcome him back and give him another shot. Now, the generation who grew up with the prequels, who are now a lot older, will always have fond memories of Hayden. And I feel like for them, their Star Wars journey started with the prequels. So they're always going to have Hayden as that figure for themselves, kind of like well, how we had our own Luke Skywalker and our own version of Darth Vader and what have you. So I think they're always going to be welcoming for him to come back and reprise this role. So very exciting stuff. I'm really, really excited to see how this is going to play out. What's going to be how what his role is going to be like. Is it going to be a big role? Is it going to be just like we get to see him maybe one episode or two episodes or what have you? What version are we going to see him as? So let me know what you guys think in the comments. Uh, are you excited for this? How do you think he's going to return? Like in what form? What is the Ahsoka series going to be like? Is this going to be continuing on the same timeline that we um, saw in The Mandalorian or 
Are we going to play with the timelines a little bit? I'm very curious to see what you guys think and how excited you guys are with this piece of news. So cool. So moving on and keeping within the Disney family, uh, earlier in the week, the big Disney news that came out was that Marvel um, has announced that a lot of their Phase 4 movies are being pushed back, some significantly. Um, but for the quick list, I'll run down uh, and recap what the quick list is here. Uh, it starts off with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which I know a lot of people are waiting for because this is going to continue on the whole multiverse storyline that you know we got introduced to as far as WandaVision and Loki we do know Wanda is going to be in this movie as well with with Doctor Strange so this moves from March 25th to May 6th of next year Thor Love and Thunder moves from May 6th to July 8th Black Panther Wakanda Forever the sequel to Black Panther moves from July 8th to November 11th The Marvels has been postponed to early 2023 and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has been bumped from February 17th 2023 to July 28th 2023 and along with these like um, kind of ships and all that it was also announced that the fifth Indiana Jones starring Harrison Ford who is reprising his role once again will now open a whole year later um, from its original July 29, 2022. It's been pushed to June 30th, 2023. So a lot of jumps there and there's a lot of speculation as to why these changes have been made. Is Disney trying to be greedy as far as box office is concerned? Because maybe their hopes are by moving these dates a little bit back, they can benefit more from more people going back to the movie theaters Hopefully the situation that we're in right now in the world has improved tremendously and there's not that much of a concern or the concerns have really lessened a lot so that more and more people can start returning to movie theaters or what have you. Um, I personally think that a lot of these shifts are due to improve on production uh, situations and production morale and a tight uh, deadline and turnaround times. Um, so the reason why I bring this up is because in a previous episode, I did talk about the IATSE union who um, were fighting back on Hollywood about poor production conditions, uh, quick turnaround times, less pay, and all that kind of stuff like that. Um, and they were threatened to go on strike starting uh, this past Monday on the 18th. But I'll get into a more deep um, recap as to the latest events from that. But I do feel like a lot of these switches and changes are due to improving on those production conditions and to kind of buffer themselves in case there was a potential issue. Because if this union did eventually go on strike, who knows how long that's going to last, but that's going to halt a lot of Hollywood uh, productions for a while. Basically shut down Hollywood because this union of 60,000 plus members covers a broad range of um, tasks on a production set. You got your makeup people, your costume people, your hair people, your actual set designers, right? Um, your uh, sound people, you know, your camera and lighting. So huge Hollywood pro productions will be really hugely affected by a lot of this stuff. 
if they were to go on strike. So I think Disney was proactive and kind of made these changes. And there's quite possibly other reasons involved that we are not yet made aware of. Maybe they're restructuring some of their storylines. Maybe they're, they're changing things up to kind of push things along with what they want to accomplish for this uh, new phase four that they're in right now. So that's just my take on it. Um, we haven't really received a lot of updates as far as news is concerned about these changes. Yeah, it kind of sucks that we have to wait several months more from their original dates, but we're still getting these movies, right? We just have to be a little patient. And it's not like there's a lack of content uh, new content that is coming out because in a couple weeks in November, not a couple, but in, in November at least, we have the new Hawkeye series coming out on Disney Plus, and I'm and we still have the Miss Marvel show that's coming out. I believe there's also She Hulk that's still being in the works, and all those other Disney Plus. Um, series and shows that they're working on so there's going to be enough content for us to fill in the gaps before we get another major marvel movie and of course we have eternals that's coming out next week in, well, not next week but in two weeks so that is going to be the the next marvel movie that we get to enjoy and then of course we have the new spider-man no way home in december so we still have stuff coming out and we have to wait a little bit. I am curious as to how it's going to affect the Indiana Jones movie because let's face it, Harrison Ford is not young anymore. Uh, he is up there in age. I believe he's 79 years old now. And for him to be coming back in this type of role, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Unless his role is going to be minor and we may now finally get the handing of the baton to someone else. Or maybe the movie's going to play more on flashbacks and um, past events that maybe the current Indiana is going through and recollecting uh, in his mind and retelling stories, kind of like what we saw with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles on TV back in the day. Who knows? I mean, it'll be definitely interesting to see what happens here. But yeah, we that was like really big news that happened earlier in the week. And now that we're in this topic, let me go get back to the whole IATSE union strike, right? So as I mentioned before in the previous episode, the IAT, the IATSE, let's just call them like IATSE, right? Or IATSE, IATSE. The, the IATSE union were threatening to go on strike because of poor conditions for their union workers, right? And this includes bad pay, quick turnaround times, you know, unfair treatment on set, all this kind of stuff like that, right? And if you want like a full list, I did uh, create a clip out of all the details. Uh, you can find that on the YouTube channel um, in the playlist, in one of the playlists I have there. But this union which compromises of like i said 60,000 workers uh, within this union there's 36 unions overall now basically they were set they had a vote the previous week and they all voted almost unanimously to agree to go on strike and that strike would have taken took place on monday this past monday on the 18th sunday prior they were able to strike a tentative deal with the amptp uh, which is like a bunch of producers and studio heads and all that stuff that represent the Hollywood productions, right? So there was a tentative deal that they struck. And basically the details of this deal is that the tentative agreement provides uh, a 54-hour a weekend, which is a lot more than what they're getting now because, I, you know, usually 
Hollywood productions would shut down for the weekend. But because of these quick turnaround times, they found a lot of union workers having to have to work during their weekends, half of the weekend, sometimes full weekends, depending on the production. But now they agreed to provide a 54 hour weekend and a 10 hour turnaround time between shifts for all workers on all productions. But no mention about increase in pay or additional benefits uh, as far as like medical benefits are concerned or anything like that, which is why a lot of the union members were in heavy disagreement on this tentative deal. Now, the members of the unions will get to vote whether or not to continue on with this tentative deal or not. And that, that voting could take up to several weeks or what have you like that. So Hollywood is saved for now, but this does not mean that this is going to end things and everyone's going to be all hunky-dory and happy and go back to work, no problems and no questions asked. Um, it could still be overturned by the members of the unions. So it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen there. But based off of a lot of things that I've read and a lot of things that I've um, seen on Twitter, a lot of union members are not happy with this tentative deal, so much so that they're calling the leaders of the IATSE, they're saying that they're failing them, that they're basically failing in striking that agreement that they really want for the unions and all that. And I think one of the other major disappointments that the union members had was that conditions of revolving around streaming. Because streaming, now production times are so fast and they're very quick because there's a lot of content that needs to be produced. And, you know, this includes streaming platforms, as I mentioned before, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Paramount+. Plus. Uh, Apple Plus, all that stuff, right? So one of the things that I've read also that I'll quote right here is one major disappointment for the IATSE is that streaming services will not have to pay extra residuals into the pension and health plans that had largely flown under the radar as the focus turned to long hours and rest periods. So it looks like, again, the tentative deal really revolved around just breaks like break periods and times in between productions, weekends, but doesn't address anything as far as pay, anything as far as benefits are concerned, and actual work conditions um, that are done on these production sets. So I don't think this is the last we're going to hear about this. I'm pretty sure once they really have the full-on vote from the members that some other things are going to come out, and it could. it's very possible that this tentative deal will not be agreed upon. But... That is the latest of what's happening there. If there's anything that I've missed and you may be well um, versed in what's going on, do let me know in the comments. In that clip out video, I did have nice conversations with certain members and people who are uh, more closely related to this. So they've given some insights and all that. Again, based off of everything that I've read, everything that I've gathered, this is basically where things stay right now. And we will see what happens afterwards and what's going to carry on once all the members of the unions have their voices heard and the voting process has gone through and what the end results are. So again, I will be keeping a close eye on this because it will again affect highly Hollywood production across the board. And if we have another, if we have this strike go through, then a lot, you think the Disney delays are big now, 
wait until we hear other delays from other studios and what have you. Since we're talking about the IATSE union and workers in production and all that stuff, I did want to mention this really quickly. It's very unfortunate news that broke a couple nights ago. And it's something happened on the set of this uh, movie called Rust that is starring um, Alec Baldwin. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins was unfortunately killed by a discharged weapon uh, on the set on Thursday of this production. Uh, director Joel Souza, I believe that's how you pronounce the name, was also injured and taken to a local hospital at that time when this happened. Basically what happened here, it sounds like a uh, gun prop that was used by Alec Baldwin, which are people have to realize that these are actual real firearms that they kind of uh, treat so that it it's just fires blanks but it's still a functioning firearm however whoever works on these weapons um, will modify them so that no projectile will ever fire and it just fires blanks and we've seen that happen in movies all the time uh, we've seen a lot of behind the scenes but unfortunately the one that he was carrying did have one projectile loaded in the chamber when he fired, unfortunately, it struck uh, fatally the cinematographer on the set, Helena Hutchins, and injured the director. And it's a very unfortunate news. It's very sad. It, the minute I read this, uh, I quickly remembered uh, what happened to Brandon Lee uh, when he was filming The Crow. And he was killed on set pretty much under the same circumstances. You know, a prop gun fired and discharged something that struck Lee fatally and he died um, afterwards. So a lot of um, prayers and thoughts go out to the family and friends of Helena Hutchins there. Uh, I hope director Joel Souza can recover quickly. I feel bad also for Alec Baldwin. And he's the one holding this, this gun and because of you know a big big accident huge mistake it took the life of someone on set um, someone that he was working with and injured um, the director that he was working with so just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about this and kind of have this moment for Helena because uh, this is a tragic tragic news and of course there's I'm sure there's going to be more investigations as to why this happened how this could have happened and what have you now maybe that talks about not having these real firearms on set anymore and just do everything post-production as far as like special effects are concerned or do things differently it's very unfortunate you would you would think that in this day and age that we're in now these types of mishaps will no longer happen so it does you know beg the question is how can something like this still happen you know when this happened with lee this was in the 90s this was like a while ago so things are a lot different from then there and there is now um, with the amount of special effects houses that we have, a lot of different ways that you go about showing, you know, special effects on screen and what have you, you would think that they would have changed things up to prevent these type of accidents from happening. But it is very unfortunate. So let's just take a quick moment to remember Helena there. All right, you know, there's never really an easy transition uh, from news like that, but we will do our best here. Something that I found extremely shocking, and this is news that broke out last weekend, um, and I just wanted to talk about it real quick because I did talk about this again as one of my anticipated shows uh, for the year uh, based off of a property that I was a pretty big fan of, and that's Why the Last Man. So it was... 
Now, Why the Last Man is currently playing on Hulu, and it's, I believe now we're two episodes away from the season, from the season finale, um, or two episodes until the season ends. But it was announced that Hulu has decided to cancel Why the Last Man, which is extremely unfortunate and kind of surprising that it came out um, last weekend pretty much out of nowhere. And it seems to have been pretty much a shock to showrunner there, Eliza Clark, when she decided to tweet about it uh, last Sunday. And basically she said, why the last man? We have learned that we will not be moving forward with FX on Hulu for season two of Why the Last Man. I have never in my life been more committed to a story. There is so much more left to tell. We had a gender diverse team of brilliant artists led by women at almost every corner of our production. It is the most collaborative, creatively fulfilling, and beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. We don't want it to end. And then basically, a couple days afterwards, there was some more uh, additional information that came out as to why they decided to cancel the show. And it sounds like it was more along the concerns of budget and finances. They're extremely concerned about moving forward with the production because of all the delays, the amount of money they had to put into the series, into the contracts of the actors and actresses, extending contracts because of the delays, having to have to pay them to come back for reshoots or to finish certain episodes. And then if this show doesn't, you know, really pick up, to commit again to another set of round of uh, financing for season two, it looks like they were just not confident that this would be a good choice and something good to do moving forward. So basically, it just continues the troubled history of why The Last Man and adapting it to either the big screen or the small screen or some sort of screen, right? Just to recap on the journey that this property had, you know, the original comics uh, were published between 2002 and 2008, right? When the series finally wrapped up, there was a lot of talks that it was being picked up to be a feature film. But after a lot of back and forth and failed talks and all that kind of stuff like that, it just never happened. But by 2014, this is going back seven years ago now, the rights of this series got back into control under Brian K. Vaughn, who is the creator and writer. And then he had negotiations with FX, who picked up the rights in 2015. But for at least three to four years, nothing's happened. But then 2019, FX had ordered Why the Last Man to finally become a series. That same year, the network split uh, with the series' original showrunners and eventually brought on Eliza Clark to be the new showrunner for the show. In early 2020, the role of Yorick had to be recast uh, with Ben Schnetzer taking the lead role. Then when, you know, the pandemic happened, it stalled production and basically, this was originally supposed to air on the FX cable network channel. It was then moved to the deal that they have with Hulu to be featured on the streaming platform, right? And then it finally launched in September. And then there were the reviews that came out. You know, I reviewed the first couple of episodes, the first three episodes, and admittingly, I was not fully, fully impressed. I mean... I am interested in the storyline. I am interested to see what their what their approach is. And some of the acting is great, but overall I felt the acting was very bland and not very the way I put it, it was very tough for me to watch. Um it just wasn't strong for me a lot of the acting. 
And uh, some of the critics um, were saying that the show itself just felt bland and, you know, not that uh, appealing or interesting. It, it didn't capture you like how The Walking Dead captured you when it first came out, right? And I always like to give shows the three-episode test. And if after three episodes I'm fully in, you got me, you hooked me in, then yeah, I'm going to watch the rest of it. But I was like teetering. I was like, I don't know. You know, I am still very curious to see how it plays out. I'll give it a shot, but but I'm not going to be eagerly going episode to episode, week to week, watching the show. Not like how I am with like the Marvel shows or the Star Wars shows or even Wu-Tang. Um, that's also on Hulu. Um, that I go watch week to week. But why? I kind of just like said, you know, I'll get to it when I got to it. And I pretty much fell off to be quite honest with you. I, I, I haven't gone back after watching the fourth episode. So I'm still planning to watch it, but it's going to be bittersweet because once the, the series season ends, that's it. We may never have a chance to watch this series again. Now, Eliza did mention that she's going to try to talk to other streaming platforms and hopefully get it picked up. You know, we've seen this happen before. Lucifer was rescued by Netflix and Netflix was able to continue the Lucifer series. Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai was picked up from YouTube Premium, you know, which not a lot of people were watching, but it was one of their best things that they've ever had. Probably the only thing that they have ever had that was worth watching. And Netflix came and rescued it as well. And now we have the fourth season coming out by the end of the year. So hopefully, you know, we can get to see the same thing happen here again, where maybe Netflix steps in and say, hey, all right, we'll pick up an, another season or two and let's see what you guys do with it. Um, or maybe this can go to Amazon or what have you. Um, but it is pretty unfortunate because, again, when you look at the source material and you go back to the comic books, the story itself is fascinating. One of the most well-written comic storylines that I've ever seen and you know it was very intriguing and I really wanted to be able to enjoy this on screen just like how I did with The Walking Dead when it came out and you know hopefully it'll capture more uh, more of an audience that could possibly go back and start rereading the comic books um, or just experience everything for the first time through the show but yeah it, again it's just it's one of those things that happens to at times certain productions or properties where they just have this cloud over them and they just never have the right luck. Look at The Crow. They've been trying to reboot that franchise for the longest time now. And after the first movie, which for me is still falls within my top 10 favorite movies of all time, they've never been able to recapture um, that essence um, and that um, kind of lightning in the bottle that the first movie had. They, they tried doing a Crow TV series, which I thought was promising, extremely promising. I forgot what station or what network it aired on, but I remember watching it on weekends. It would play on a weekend, which is like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Um, but the actor they hired for that role of Eric Draven was very well done, and it was continuing his storyline in a way. And I thought that was very promising, but that didn't last long either. Um, and ever since then, they've been trying to reboot and reboot and reboot this series, but this, nothing has ever got off the ground. So it's unfortunate that they finally got off the ground here, and now they're being grounded once again. So 
yeah, we'll see what happens. Hopefully this is not the last we're going to hear about Why the Last Man. But maybe the critical response of season one will lead to the determining factor whether or not this show will continue at all, period. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I will, as soon as the season ends, I'll make sure to catch up on all the episodes and I'll do my full um, season recap, which might turn into just a series recap and see what happens. Um, but yeah, let me know if you guys have been watching this series at all. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? You know, has it has it hooked you? Is it something that you are interested in? I've heard from several people that they were really into this series and it was like one of their favorite series of the year so far, uh, which is great, you know. Um, but I am very curious to hear what other people think about this series as a whole. And if we never get to see another season, are you going to be fine with that? Like, is it something where you're like, oh, well, you know, on to the next one because there's so many things to watch anyway, right? So we'll get to see what happens. Hopefully more good news will come up. All right, y'all, before we get into some additional topics here, I just want to talk about Amazon Prime. Because why? Because it's spooky season. If you're like me right now, you are going through some of the classic horror movies or you're catching up on horror movies that you haven't seen before. I just recently watched Midsommar for the first time. Woof! That was a doozy. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And if it wasn't for Amazon Prime, I wouldn't have been able to check it out. So, like I mentioned, it is spooky season. So be prepared to scream as you stream the latest horror movies on Amazon Prime just in time for Halloween. In addition to horror favorites you know and love, Prime Video has released four new Amazon original thriller titles, Black Box, The Lie, Nocturne, and Evil Eye. Amazon Prime is a great streaming service that allows you to stream many of your favorite movies, along with Prime original series like The Boys, Invincible, and the highly anticipated Wheel of Time that launches on November 19th. Not a member of Prime? No worries. Follow the link in the description to sign up for your free 30-day trial today. You can, of course, cancel anytime, but with such great streaming content, I'd be surprised if you do. Again, sign up today for your free 30-day trial by clicking on the link found in the description and prepare to be spooked. But in all seriousness, guys, Amazon Prime. Now, I know they're still trying to figure out their streaming service. You know, when it comes to like originals and all that stuff. But there's a lot of great content on there. I'm a huge fan of The Boys. If you haven't watched The Boys yet, you have to check it out. Um, one of the great comic book adaptations that has their own TV show right now, or streaming show, as I should say, Invincible. Something that was a shocker when it came out. You know, it took me a while to get into, but the animation, you know, just like it was ripped right off the comic book. So really, really great stuff there. And a lot of great movies, like I mentioned before, some originals from Amazon and some of the classics. So do check it out. And like I said, with the 30-day trial, you could cancel anytime you want. Um, but do check it out. And if you click on the link in the description, um, it will also help support the channel. So be sure to do that. And I will be greatly appreciated. But speaking of streaming, guys and gals, have you watched that little teaser uh, snippet uh, from the new Cowboy Bebop live action series on Netflix called Lost Session. Now, I've been kind of critical about this series because, well, because of many things. And let's just get the, uh, the big thing out of the way. Anytime you adapt anime, 
to um, another form of media, which is whether it's a live action movie or a live action series, it's just, it's very hard to do, you know, because there are certain things you can get away with in anime form that you can't get away with in live action. And I think writers and directors and, you know, special effects people, they have a hard time trying to capture that same charm, that same spirit and essence that characters in a certain series are able to do in animated form compared to live action, right? So when I first started hearing that Cowboy Bebop was being translated to live action, of course I was extremely hesitant, right? Then we saw the first photos from the production itself. You know, John Chu playing um, the lead character of Spike there and all that. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It looks kind of cheesy. You know, it looks like, it looks like they're really trying their hardest to capture frame by frame, look by look, the same look of the anime characters. And that could be rough. That could be very, very hard going. Then during To Doom, Netflix's To Doom event, we were treated with the opening intro where they basically in live action form mimic the opening intro of the anime series. And I got hooked. I got, I got to tell you the way they were able to, the way they were able to capture the feel of the characters, the feel of the series as a whole, kind of like like I said, that spirit and that charm, they were able to repurpose it and display it in a live action form of media that I was surprised that they were able to do. Now, of course, there's a lot of special effects and you know the way that they handled a lot of the, the scenes and all that stuff like that. A lot of post-production work, right? Um, but still, it worked for me, right? So I'm like, all right, I may give this a shot. Then they released this little short, this little teaser, and they called it Lost Session, which pretty much gives you a good sense of how the characters interact with each other, how they go about, you know, because basically the story is that they're like bounty hunters, right? Um, and it gives you a feel of how the series is going to look. And wow, I was extremely impressed extremely impressed um, I believe the short is like three minutes or so and change but the minute it ended I was like I need to see more I really want to see more they got me it got me this was the nail in the coffin for me this got me now I, I really want to see it I already said this was gonna be a show that I was gonna check out as one of my um, most anticipated for the ending the rest of the year as far as streaming is concerned but now they fully got me. They full, I am fully on board. I'm going to check this out. The way that the action scenes were done together, the whole thing was just very meta in a way. They were interact with each other, but the characters, the live action characters are jumping from panel to panel as if you like something you would see in a manga or something that you would see in an anime, right? And the, 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 the set changes really quickly. The minute like the frame changes over or you see them sliding through the frames turning the frames into a weapon that they're using or whatever. Um, I was really impressed in how they put that all together. That's a lot of work being put into this type of show. Now, if we see the same result in each episode, again, a lot of work, but I think the payoff is going to be huge because it really, really captured that, that feeling I got when I was watching the anime uh, way back in the day. And it really, really reminded, I know a lot of people were saying, kind of reminded them of like Scott Pilgrim. 
uh, Edgar Wright, Scott Pilgrim, the movie. I can see that, but for me, it really felt more like Sin City, like a colorized version of Sin City, because Sin City um, is one of my favorite comic book adaptations uh, as far as movies are concerned, because it captured the same feel you got as you were reading it in the pages of the graphic novels. You know, the the framing, the the transitions, the art style, you know, the cinematography, um, even the way the character designs were um, and the special effects. Like, it felt like a live comic book put onto the big screen. And I loved every minute of it. It was so stylish and um, cinematic, right? And I feel like this is turning out to be a colorized version of that. And I'm impressed. And like I said, if every episode is going to have the same type of elements, then this is going to be a, a home run. Uh, this is going to be like one of those shows that I'm going to be really head over heels on. I'll be like, they did it. They finally did something that I never thought that they would be able to do. And this is gonna, you have to watch this. But I think for now... Let's temper expectations because things could always change, right? First two episodes release, and I'm just like, what the hell is happening? Like, what is this? But do yourselves a favor. If you haven't watched the Lost Session teaser, check it out. It might change your mind if you were hesitant like myself. And if you do check it out, let me know what you think about it because I am really, really impressed. I'm like so surprised that they were able to pull something like that off. It looks great. It looks fantastic. The action scenes were really well done. Um... You know, the, the, the camera angles and the framing for a lot of the action scene also reminded me a lot of like the Matrix and all that. So really, really good stuff. I, I really do hope the series can capture a lot of these elements episode to episode because that's going to be a phenomenal achievement if they could do that. So, yeah, do let me know what you guys think when you check it out and when you do. Um, Cool. Switching gears here a little bit. Let's talk about something video game related now. Again, if you've listened to the show long enough, you know I've been very critical about Nintendo for a while. I just don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're planning as far as their gaming platform and all that. Uh, yes, we finally got um, Metroid Dread, which is fantastic. And finally, we're getting a Nintendo property uh, with a new, fresh uh, game, right? A fresh look. Something that harkens back to the old days, but is new and modernized and a lot of fun. And is getting good reviews all, all across the board for the most part. But that's like few and far in between. You know, we don't get this often. Now, you know, during their last, um, you know, Nintendo Direct, they announced that they were increasing the price of their Nintendo Online offering. But that's if you agree to you know, go forward with the expansion um, tier of the membership. And at that time, they didn't reveal any pricing information, but they were saying that if you agree with the expansion, the expansion tier, Nintendo Online Plus Expansion, um, you would get access to their new virtual console of the Nintendo 64, where you could play classic Nintendo 64 games. You know, you got games like uh, Ocarina of Time and... Paper and uh, Paper Mario and uh, Mario 64, Star Fox, all that kind of stuff like that. Then the, the big surprise was they announced that you can now get Genesis games uh, as a virtual console, you know, and you'll get to play a lot of the early Genesis games. And it sounds like they were going to be adding things to that library like they do now with 
the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo Virtual Console there. And then that was it, right? And then more information was going to be provided later on. So now they finally gave us more info. And they gave us pricing. So the price for Nintendo Switch Online plus expansion packs, the new subscription tier, which adds, like I said, the Nintendo 64 games, the Genesis games, and they also included uh, access to the bundle of the new Happy Home Paradise DLC for Animal Crossing New Horizons, which was a part of the same announcement that they announced that they were releasing a new DLC for Animal Crossing so that everyone who you know, played Animal Crossing during lockdown and gave it up once they were tired with it can finally go back, hopefully, at least that's what they're hoping, that the new individual price for a yearly subscription will be $49.99. 50 bucks a year for just Nintendo 64 Virtual Console, Sega Genesis Virtual Console, and access to get the DLC for Animal Crossing as part of the subscription. Now, if you have a family membership, you would have to pay $79.99, a year for this. Now, if you don't know what the original prices are, the yearly membership, 20 bucks for single membership. The family membership is only 35 bucks. So this is a huge jump in pricing for, in my opinion, very little return. It ain't worth it. It is not worth it. Now, on top of like access to the virtual consoles and all that stuff like that, other benefits of the Nintendo Switch online service is that it will include online multiplayer, so you're allowed to play online with friends on certain games. The, the classic uh, Nintendo and Super Nintendo virtual consoles, like I mentioned before, and you know cloud saving and all that stuff. Now ask yourself, how many times have you done any of that? Ask yourself, how many times have you actually utilized these extras? Those of you who are current Nintendo Online um, subscription members, how many times have you played online multiplayer with your friends on your Switch? There could be a lot of you, and if that's so, that's great. How many times have you guys and girls played the Nintendo and Super Nintendo Virtual Console games? Maybe there's a handful of you. You know, I played them from time to time. Just to let you guys know, I share a family membership with a friend of mine under the $35 a year mark. How many times have you guys actually used cloud saving? Or those of you who are not subscription members, have you had the desire to utilize any of these uh, perks. What I told my friend is don't even bother. Not worth it. It ain't worth it. $80 a year just so I can gain access to Nintendo 64 games and Genesis games? I don't even play Animal Crossing, so I don't care about the DLC. And I guarantee you that they're going to start tying in these D DLCs with other games moving on in the future. Right. Instead of now, you can get the DLC by buying it yourself. You'll you'll just pay what whatever that price is for the DLC itself. You don't have to be part of this membership. But as a perk, if you were, you get it as part of the membership. 
how many of you bought the Sega Genesis Mini? This thing. This thing came out about a year or two ago, right? Comes with all of these Genesis games, classic games, all that stuff like that. All the games I have here, that's what they're offering as part of this subscription. I already got this. I don't need that. So, you ask me? It ain't, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Nintendo, you're not showing me why I should be part of this subscription tier. So I'm, I'm happy that my friend and I and other friends that are part of this service that we just have to stick to our $35 a year. Heck, sometimes I wonder if we even need to do that because I couldn't even tell you the last time I played any of the classic NES games or SNES games. Right? I rarely play anything online with my friends through the Switch. You know, because a lot of the Switch gaming I do is our single single player games. I don't really play a lot of online games, really, to be honest with you. All my online gaming happens through my PS5 or my Xbox. That's it. And with Game Pass, it, games that support cross-platform, boom, I can do that. So, again, I have to ask the question, Nintendo, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, where? Wh why can't you guys just focus on bringing back first-party games? Where are the first-party games? You know, you, it's so, right around the corner, we're going to be getting the new Mario Party game. Awesome. Awesome for those who like to play Mario Party. I'm not one of them. You know, and I could be like maybe the the minority here, and that's perfectly fine if I am. You know, yes, we're getting Breath of the Wild two, hopefully next year. But where are the other games? You know, where are the other first party games here? You know, I'm I'm extremely disappointed in Nintendo right now, um, and I have been for a while because I just don't know what they're doing. A lot of the third-party stuff that they announced, you know, I could get that on other systems, right? Sometimes they may even come up in, you know, Xbox Game Pass. So that's part of my subscription that time and time again pays for itself because of the amount of games I play through there. But yeah, I'm extremely disappointed. And again, I could be the minority here. For you guys watching, you know, guys and gals watching or listening, if you play Nintendo games on your Switch and you are satisfied let me know let me know what's keeping you satisfied you know because for me personally my switch is hanging out docked in the little dock for months now i've yet to touch it now that Met, uh, metroid dread is out i get to finally play a new nintendo switch game but when was the last time i got to play anything i couldn't even tell you it's been forever so yeah it's it's very disappointing. It's extremely disappointing. Um, hopefully, you know, Nintendo has some stuff up their sleeves, and then maybe next year they're going to announce a bunch of stuff that's going to be coming out. But as of right now, ugh, it's, you know, yeah, they just released their OLED version of the Switch, which also I feel was unnecessary. I mean, I know, yeah, there are some people who went out there and, and bought it, and they were happy with it and all that stuff like that, but... That's great if you 
plan to do a lot of mobile gaming with it. You know, I don't. So again, it didn't speak to me. But again, I, I could just be the minority here. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But yeah, let me know what you guys think, how you guys feel. Do you feel like me? Are you feeling my pain? I just want Nintendo to be better. Can't Nintendo be better? Before we, we end this week's episode, um, I, as always, every week, I like to talk about um, a special collectible, and I call it the collectible of the week. It could be a high-end statue, an action figure, a model kit, Lego set, what have you. I love collectibles. A lot of people like you out there may love collectibles like me. So I like to like kind of cover something that was just newly announced or what have you. And this week is a doozy. This is a doozy. And I'll tell you why. One, it's extremely high-end. So even for myself, this is not something I would probably be able to get in my lifetime. Or who knows, maybe, maybe I can be lucky enough to do so. Um, and it's something that is very unique. Now, I am a moderate Dungeons & Dragons fan, D&D. I have a, a bi-weekly D&D group that I play with. Those are my friends, with my friends. You know, we're currently in a campaign that's been lasting for a while now, but we're having a lot of fun with it. But when I was younger, I was very into reading a lot of the D&D books, uh, especially the books that um, were around the Forgotten Realms, you know, Icewind Dale, stuff like that. And that's when I was introduced to the author R.A. Salvatore, who created one of my all-time favorite uh, fantasy characters, and that's Drist Do'Urden. Do'Urden? Do'Urden! But Drist is this uh, dark elf who is really awesome, and, you know, he has this little panther buddy of his. Um, he has these two special swords, and he's extremely powerful, and one of the coolest characters I ever read. So it was announced, WizKids, and, and if you're not familiar with WizKids, WizKids... Um, is this company who does a lot of gaming stuff. Um, they were a company that I grew fond of because they created this game called Heroclix. Heroclix is this tabletop platform game where uh, you collect these miniature figures uh, and they're all superhero based. So like your Marvel superheroes, your DC superheroes, then they eventually spawn into like independence, movies, what have you, cartoons. Uh, they're still going on strong now, um, and they hold tournaments and all that stuff like that. And it basically, you know, these figures have these uh, clickable dials that show stats. And every time your character gets damaged, you click the amount of times it gets damaged and the stats change or what have you. And they all have special powers, blah, 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 blah. So they made a name for themselves for this game. And they started venturing more in recent years into D&D, and they create like these 3D maps and all that stuff like that. But something that I was not expecting was that they announced that one of their offerings and that they're accepting pre-orders on right now is a full-size Drist foam statue. And I was like, what? What are they doing? Check this bad boy out. It looks phenomenal. It's a full-scale figure made out of, I guess, this special foam, um, I guess to not make it so heavy, but to still make it so moldable that um, you can create the likeness and all that stuff like that. It has full cloth clothing. It looks like it will have uh, lifelike hair. He's holding his swords. He got the armor. He got his cloak. What you could remove, you know? So if you want to doll him up any way you want, you can. It stands about five feet 
feet 7 inches tall. Unbelievable. It weighs about 47 pounds, which for a full-scale statue like that, 47 pounds, that's not that bad, actually. You know, and I guess that's hence why foam is used, you know, to produce that type of material. But, man, I saw this, I was like, holy shite. I can't believe that they're creating this. It looks fantastic. And the first thing I thought of was like, imagine having this in my place. Where the F am I going to put it? You know, the downsides of living in New York, guys and gals, if you don't know, is space. You don't have a lot of space, right? If I had a house, this could be something I could consider. You know, he could he could guard my my den. He could guard my, you know, my man cave or what have you. Right. The downside, too, is that he doesn't come with his little panther buddy, which is unfortunate. Um, or maybe that's to come later. Who knows? Right. As an add on accessory or what have you. But like I said, it's not cheap. Um, it's available for pre-order now at $1,575. Very expensive. But a very, very cool, unique collectible here. Uh, for those who have the means, for those diehards that, you know, I, I know of a lot of people who, who buy statues. You know, like when you go to comic book shops, sometimes you'll see like the, the full size scale statue of like Spider-Man or Iron Man in armor with the light up, you know, chest and the helmet and all that. Um, they've done full size statues of, you know, Batman and Superman. And people actually do own these things because they make great talking pieces in your collection right they are good conversation pieces when you have it standing next to your bookshelf or by your door or what have you especially if you have the room for it if you have a special man cave or a den or a study um, your office um, when I worked uh, for Ziff Davis back in the day you know when we acquired IGN um, they brought over this giant statue from um, forgot the game uh, Warhammer or something like that and we had it standing right in front of our entrance you know and the thing the th thing was massive it was huge so it's a great complimentary piece to any collection it's a great conversation piece um, especially if you're a diehard fan this is something I would own if I had the means more if I had the space which I don't have but if you do, and this is something that tickles your fancy, you could go to the WizKids website. I'll leave a link in the description for you guys to check out and see for yourself if this is something that you would want to pick up and secure for yourself because it will be releasing sometime in 2022. And it looks like pre-orders are still open for it. So have at it if you so ever wish. So that's about it for now for this week ladies and gentlemen thank you again for tuning in to the talking talk show podcast always appreciate your patronage and always appreciate you, all of you tuning in whether it's on the youtube channel or on a podcast platform again don't forget smash that like hit that subscribe button um, don't forget if you are interested in the audio version to check out um, the show on your podcast platform of choice um, also stay tuned to the YouTube channel because I will be releasing some new reviews as of the taping of this I have just uh, uh, seen Dune Benny Villeneuve's Dune so check out for the review for that coming soon and the French Dispatch the latest from Wes Anderson so 
do stay tuned for that and always every week do your best to give yourself some time for yourself you know whether it's reading your favorite book playing your favorite video game watching one of your favorite movies it's always important after the busy week that you've had to allow some time for yourself to kind of unwind give back some of your own mental health and take some time just to do something fun you know take a walk go to a museum you know if you feel comfortable you know just give yourself that time to really unwind because there's nothing more important than your own mental health it'll keep you going for weeks and weeks once you start allowing yourself that time to do so and as always like i say every week stay cool stay classy stay safe and i'll catch all of you guys in the next episode all right y'all peace Oh,